We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And good Wednesday, everyone. Fred Jackson sitting in for Walker today. I was just thinking I was here back three, four weeks ago filling in for Walker one day, and on that program we had an interview with perhaps the best-known Christian researcher in the country, George Barna, of the Cultural Research Center. And at that time, uh, he revealed to us part of his latest survey, which dealt where uh, Christian parents are in their Christian worldview and the impact that that has on their kids. Uh, The news was not good there. Well, today we're going to do a follow-up on that, so stay tuned. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to have Dr. Barna in in about 20, 25 minutes or so. And he's going to reveal to us part two of that survey. And that survey deals with the worldview of pastors, church pastors. You're not going to want to miss that. Um, i tell you what, uh, if you, you know, we often refer to what's going on in our country. We we kind of deal with political issues, and that is correct uh, because that impacts our life. But behind all of this is spiritual warfare, folks. So when you look at where the Christian community is with regards to where it stands on the authority of Scripture, on very basic things as far as what Scripture teaches, on what constitutes salvation, what constitutes what should be our priorities, uh, It all comes together when a country, and history has proven this, wanders away from the authority of Scripture, wanders away from the Lord, that country is going to receive God's judgment. Many people think that America is in that judgment right now. Does that mean that God has given up on America? No, not at all. But you know what? He judges, he disciplines those he loves. So let's be very clear about that. But uh, anyway... Be tuned, uh, be tuned and stay tuned for uh, that second part of that survey that Christian researcher George Barnard has put out. You're not going to want to miss that, folks. Also, breaking news at this hour. Remember the Department of Homeland Security, the uh, head of, of the Homeland Security, uh, Secretary Mayorkas, back a few weeks ago, he announced that the, uh, his department was setting up a disinformation board. Now, immediately, that drew a lot of attention, and even more so when he announced that that board would be headed by a woman by the name of Nina Jankowitz. Well, very quickly, people did some surveying, went on YouTube, and they found out that Nina Jankowitz has, I'm going to be kind, a very interesting past. Uh, Over the last couple of years, it made very clear where she stands politically, She certainly doesn't like the Republican Party, certainly doesn't like Donald Trump. And it's kind of interesting that she was put in in charge of this disinformation board uh, because you remember during the election campaign, uh, she was one of the first to come out to announce the idea that uh, Hunter Biden's laptop had important information involving Joe Biden. Remember all the mainstream media says, oh, there was nothing to that. 
Well, she was one of those who said that was disinformation. But we all know that's not true. And then, of course, media outlets began to go on YouTube, and they found a TikTok video she taped about disinformation to the tune of a song from Mary Poppins. So what's happening today? Well, Nina Jankowitz has quit. All right, she has resigned. And the Department of Homeland Security has announced, I love the way they put this, as they put the whole idea of a disinformation board on hold. On hold. All right. Well, praise the Lord for that, because a lot of people started referring to it almost immediately as the Ministry of Truth, a reference, of course, to George Orwell's 1984. And uh, we hope that it's not only put on hold, but that it goes away. Because a lot of people thought, based on the evidence of this administration, that this disinformation board was going to police people's free speech rights. All right? All right. Bit of good news there. So Nina Jankowitz can go back to making videos of Mary Poppin tunes. And uh, we can go on perhaps a little bit relaxed today, but remain vigilant uh, because I've got a feeling they're probably not through with this idea of policing our free speech in the Biden administration. All right. Joining me in studio right now is the executive vice president of AFA Action, Rob Chambers. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Fred. Glad to be here. Good to have you here. And we have Rob in because we had these primaries in various states across the country yesterday. Wanted to bring Rob in to get the reactions from some of the key ones. And I guess, Rob, the major one was in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. Uh, the Republican primary there. Got a lot of attention leading up to yesterday's vote uh, with the endorsement of Donald Trump, of Mehmet Oz, of TV fame, and uh, also how he was going to do against hedge fund manager David McCormick. And also uh, a third candidate who kind of came up through the middle and really threatened the front runners. Now, as of this hour, there is a too close to call between Oz and McCormick. And uh, so we may be into probably a, a recount situation on that front. Yes, I think that's certainly the way it's looking. And so you have right now uh, Dr. Oz at 413,000 votes and David McCormick or Dave McCormick uh, right at 411. So we're looking at about 2,000 votes. Surprised by the result? You know, it's pretty consistent with the polling that we were watching or that we were seeing coming in there. Uh, It was basically anyone's race. Anyone Mm -hmm. could have won this race, the polling was. uh, Barnett was polling a little behind, but it was basically 33-33. Well, there's a there's about a 16-point um, un, undecided factor there. So yeah. I think that, that uh, about half of those were breaking in favor of Barnett. And I guess the I'm not quite sure how the other, the balance of those undecideds were, were breaking uh, for McCormick or for Oz. I would think that they would break for McCormick uh, over Oz. So that may be where, where uh, Kathy Barnett got her bump, as well as uh, Dave McCormick is uh, put him in, in a close second place there. All right. Uh, you work with our, our iVoter team. Yes. Uh, where did we have those candidates stacked? Uh, so, yeah, we had uh, – so Dr. Oz was evaluated as a moderate candidate, meaning – that uh, we believe that if he were to be elected, he would not be a, he would not govern conservative. Uh, that he would be a a moderate candidate. 
So somebody like Mitt Romney, for example. All right, because he's, maybe worse. He's kind of wavered on the abortion issue. Is that correct? Well, there's a mixture of information. You know, what we look at is is what what the candidates uh, have said and what they do. And uh, so he said several things on on record on the issue of uh, of uh, in favor of abortion, basically saying that that you know that. that you know, the government should not be interfering in, in a woman's choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that he believed in, in uh, Hillary and the uh, Obamacare um, health care mandate. So he thought that was a good idea. He thinks that he thought that that uh, Mitt Romney was his uh, style of uh, of candidate. And so there, there are several things. So universal health care, abortion. You know, he, he uh, even on his uh, TV show indicated uh that that basically transgenderism is a is is a normal phenomenon and 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 says that this is you know affirmed that yeah. so so he earned his grade of moderate right from our i voter guide yes. uh although he had the endorsement of donald trump which probably uh did him well there in pennsylvania now this just to uh folks need uh, to be reminded this is a Senate seat held by a Republican, Pat Toomey, mm-hmm. who is retiring from there. So this right. this is kind of a must-keep. That's why we've been paying attention uh, to that. Uh, it was kind of interesting in this race also, you mentioned uh, Kathy Barnett. Right. Uh, now, she, she displayed conservative credentials is that correct how did she rate on iVoter so our iVoter guide rated uh, rated uh, Kathy Barnett as conservative we believe that if she were to be elected that she would govern conservatively we okay. believe that there's uh, ample enough evidence there to to uh, to back that up uh, she completed our questionnaire you know she's a solid pro-life you know her her very own life herself she was conceived out of rape according to her personal testimony mm-hmm. and uh, and so she's she very much is a strong pro-life uh, advocate from you know, with a, with no exception all right uh, now of course the other candidate is McCormick uh, what kind of rating did he have with us so yeah so you had uh, Barnett and then McCormick uh, lean conservatively Okay. So one 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 data point on when we say leans conservatively on our on the AFA Action I Voter Guide, what that means is is that there's some uh, element of liberal data there that tells us that he has actually done something that that is uh, that would that would warrant a leans conservative. And that liberal data point is is that he signed on to an amicus brief uh, in opposition to Proposition Eight in California, where he signed on in uh, in opposition to the California Marriage Amendment that defined man between one man and one woman. Okay. Well, as we say, a very important uh, Senate race, important that it remains for conservatives, important for conservatives that it remains in the Republican camp, given things are so tight in the Senate right now. Uh, So we're going, apparently there's uh, a lot of votes still to be counted, thousands they say. Uh, There was something with the registration number. I'm not understanding all that completely. But because they have a rule in Pennsylvania that if uh, the difference in the count is less than 0.5%, then there has to be a recount. Uh, so that's what we're going to see. So we may not know for several days right. what happens there. Mm. Now, the other thing about Barnett uh, is that uh, she has said if she was to lose, she said this before Election Day, that she would not support either candidate now she got over 300,000 votes yeah so that's a big (laughs) question what are those 300,000 voters in Pennsylvania who voted for her where they're going to go well Oz or McCormick well you know that's a very you know interesting interesting uh 
thing to consider because whoever you know, wins, I'm saying, yeah, whoever, yeah. yeah. So yeah, she right now she's over three hundred thousand votes. Uh, mm-hmm. She got almost twenty five percent of the vote. Yeah, and so you know it, it kind of reminds me of what we might if if it's if it's Oz for example mm-hmm. that uh, if Dr. Oz wins in the senatorial election. And it's he and uh, John Fetterman. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I remember when it was Romney and Obama. Mm -hmm. I remember that a lot of evangelicals just stayed home because they did not want to vote for uh, for Mitt Romney. And now we could probably you know see why. Uh, So I'm I'm thinking that there's we're going to see a a voting block of people that just don't want to come out and vote for Oz, even though he might be somewhat close to a lesser evil. So yeah. I think there's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be enough, but, you know, I mean, Pennsylvania, <laughs> you know, uh, you talked about, you know, they have rules in Pennsylvania, you know, shocking, but uh, anyway, about voting. But uh, <laughs> so it's, I don't know what we're going to see coming out of that, but going into the general election, um, I would not be shocked if, if, if people showed up and voted for, uh, uh, is it Mastriano for uh, governor? Yes. And then they did not vote for senator. So there would be some undervoting going on. We're going to be watching that one for sure. Now, Fetterman, the Democrat, you talk about extremes in politics. Mm-hmm. This guy is in Bernie Sanders' camp. Right. Uh, he is a Bernie Sanders-type candidate. Uh, we wish him well. He's been in hospital. He had a stroke. He had a stint put in his heart yesterday during Election Day. Mm-hmm. He still won the Democrat primary. He listened to his wife, uh, understand. Yes. <laughs> and went to the doctor. Went to the doctor. Yeah. Handily. So... Politically, regardless of who comes out on top with the Republicans, they're certainly going to be more conservative than Fetterman. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, we'll be watching. Of course, next Tuesday, another important uh, Senate primary, this one in Georgia. Uh, And uh, we're going to see if the Trump candidate there, Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker, yeah. How well he does. Exciting time for politics. It really is. Well, his uh, Trump's uh, return on endorsements are really going good. So he's really right now, it's uh, 73 for three. 73 for three. He's doing pretty well. Yeah. Which points to uh, the reality that the Trump factor is something still to be dealt with in the Republican Party. Absolutely is. No question. All right. You're listening to AFA at the Core. Thank you very much, Rob. Yes, sir. We'll be in tune and stay tuned to the iVoter Guide. Appreciate it very much. Much more ahead. Researcher George Barna going to join us right after the break. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he expressed his awe, wonder, and amazement at the inexhaustible grace and mercy of God in that he saw fit not only to regenerate Paul, but to also find him worthy for appointment to gospel ministry. Paul knows his history as a blasphemer and a terrorist who sought to destroy the way of Christ following. He stands as a witness to the fact that no one, and I mean no one, is beyond the grace of God. Keep praying for your unsaved loved ones. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Have you ever stepped outside on a starry night to take in the majesty of the heavens? Being part of the outdoors provides opportunities for discovery and is a benefit to mental health. A recent study shared that kids who have access to nature are less anxious, more attentive, and happier. That's a recipe that every family would enjoy. Next time your girl is feeling a bit stressed, grab a blanket, a flashlight, and some healthy snacks. Head outdoors to look up at the stars and reflect on the awesome beauty of the cosmos orchestrated by the divine creator. Reflect on these words from Micah. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me and feel the peace flow. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. In a world where no one can tell us no. To this day, every human being born on this planet is the product of a male and a female. That's the way God set it up. God created us in His image. A place where Facebook and YouTube have no control. I think the command in Scripture relative to men and women is not mainly women sit down, but men stand up, act like men, lead as you're supposed to. A place where we can no longer be canceled. When the Scripture speaks, God speaks. And if you understand that rightly, then everything else simply falls into place. The American Family Association presents the AFA streaming platform. Just visit streaming.afa.net for the latest films, documentaries, and AFA original productions. You'll even find videos from some of your favorite talk shows. All you have to do is create a free account at streaming.afa.net. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And welcome back to the Wednesday edition of AFA at the Core. Fred Jackson sitting in for Walker Wildman today. Walker will be back in a few days. Going to give him a little break every now and then. He's a busy guy. Uh, But I tell you what, uh, speaking of busy, it is a busy news day, a busy time in our country politically. And as we were saying off the top of the program, politics is definitely connected to where the country is spiritually. And one of the uh, most high-profile, most respected Christian researchers is Dr. George Barna at the Cultural Re-Center of uh, Arizona Christian University. And he joins us right now. Good afternoon, Dr. Barna. Hi, Fred. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing great here. You know, uh, the last time I filled in for Walker, uh, we were privileged to have you as a guest then. Uh, we uh, kind of got into your latest survey dealing with where uh, Christian parents, Christian students, their their kids uh, are spiritually. And uh, for many years now, and I've followed you for many years, uh, you, you deal with where people are standing in their Christian worldview. Uh before we get into the, the latest information on your survey, I, I think it's really important that you maybe go through uh, several of what you consider ingredients for a person's uh, Christian worldview, important ingredients. Well, Fred, when we measure this, we look at 54 different elements of people's beliefs and behavior because a worldview really is both of those. You do what you believe. So we measure both aspects, belief and behavior. 
There are some things, though, that really are kind of cornerstones of such beliefs. So that would be things such as the fact that there is absolute moral truth, elements such as the Bible is true and relevant and reliable for our lives today, things like understanding that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, and just creator of the universe who still rules it and is involved in it today, things like recognizing that as human beings we're born into sin, and the only way out of that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ, wherein we confess our sins to him and ask him to save us from the consequences of those sins. Things like recognizing that success in life is simply consistent obedience to God, and elements such as the fact that each of us has a God-given purpose, and that purpose is to know, love, and serve God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. So that's not the totality of a biblical worldview, but I would say those are the foundation stones that you build upon, and then there are other things that the Scriptures teach that are critical toward helping us to live in a way that honors God every moment of every day. So I, I would refer to those as kind of basic biblical teaching of what constitutes a Christian worldview. Now, when we talked to you a few weeks ago, uh, it dealt with, uh, you did a survey, you had a survey of Christian parents, and uh, can I quickly summarize that, uh, the results of that, is that perhaps people would be shocked yep. that that Christian parents, many Christian parents, people identify themselves as Christians who are parents of teens, uh, lack this basic Christian beliefs and teaching uh, in the in Christian homes. Is that, is that a, a fair summary? Yeah, and, uh, you know, me being a numbers guy, I'll throw some numbers at you. You know, we know across the country, among all parents of pre-teenage children, only 2% have a biblical worldview. If we look at the parents who call themselves Christian, which is 67% of all pre-teen parents, only 4% of them have a biblical worldview. And then if we were to narrow it down just to the born-again parents, not because they call themselves born-again, but they believe that when they die, they'll uh, experience uh, God's presence for eternity, only because they confessed their sins and accepted Christ as their Savior. That's 22% of all preteen parents, but only 8% of them have a biblical worldview. So no matter how you look at it, it's appallingly low. And the impact that that has on their kids, I think we dealt with that. Yeah, which, which essentially is children during the ages of 15 to 18 months and age 13 are developing the worldview they're going to take with them for the rest of their life. So they're watching people, places, organizations that they trust to get clues about what is a viable worldview. Parents are first and foremost on that list, but what we've discovered in the research is that because parents often say one thing and do another, their children are concluding that their parents are just as confused as they, the young person, is. And therefore, they're not taking clues from their parents they're taking clues from places that are consistent in what they say and do. And that's why the mass media, the entertainment media, is so impactful in the lives of our children. They don't teach a biblical worldview, but they teach a worldview that is consistent 
whether it's secular humanism, Marxism, Eastern mysticism, postmodernism, or any of the other non-biblical worldviews. Dr. Barna, we're talking with uh, Dr. George Barna of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Now, I think most Christian parents, people listening to this program, would say, well, uh, maybe the parents are depending on their churches to instill a Christian worldview in their kids. But I want to read you the headline from the Cultural Research Center to the next part of your survey. And folks, hold on to your seat. New Barner Research, majority of American pastors do not hold a biblical worldview. Were you shocked by this, Dr. Barna? And uh, I want you to go, you're a numbers guy, go through some of the numbers because to me it was absolutely shocking. Yeah, no, it didn't surprise me, but it is heartbreaking. I got to tell you, you know, uh, Fred, I've been tracking this for almost 30 years now. And so consistently we've seen not only the decline in biblical worldview among Americans themselves, but even among the pastors of Christian churches. So we look at this, for instance, and we broke it into five different types of pastors. We found with a weighted average that 37% of all Christian pastors across the country have a biblical worldview. That's barely one out of every three Christian pastors having a biblical worldview. Now, it varies by the type of pastor you find in churches. Senior pastors, 41% have a biblical worldview. That's four out of ten which, of course, means most senior pastors of Christian churches do not have a biblical worldview. Among associate pastors and assistant pastors, 28% have a biblical worldview. Why does that matter? Because the way that churches usually work is when a senior pastor leaves or retires, the next pastor that gets hired is often an associate pastor. And so we're looking at only 28% of them with a biblical worldview. Then we can look at another category, teaching pastors. Now, think about it. Who has a teaching pastor? Somebody whose sole job in the church is to teach, usually megachurches. What we find here is that only 13% of teaching pastors have a biblical worldview. The one that breaks my heart most of all is when we look at children's and youth pastors, people who take care of and, and teach our children who are under the age of 18, only 12% of those pastors have a biblical worldview. Why that breaks my heart more than any of the others is that it's children who are the most vulnerable. A person develops their worldview between the ages of 15 to 18 months and 13 years of age. So it's predominantly children's pastors and parents who have that great impact, should have that great spiritual impact on those children, and yet only one out of every eight children's or youth pastors have a biblical worldview. Worst of all were the executive pastors, where we found that only 4% of them have a biblical worldview. Dr. Barnard, to say the least, this is extremely troubling. Of When you did your survey of these pastors, those ingredients that we dealt with just off the, the top of the interview a few minutes ago, what, was there one area, was there a lack of belief in absolute truth, 
that salvation only comes through acceptance of Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Did did something stand out in particular that that made these people fall short of of, of the definition of Christian worldview? Well, Fred, we're going to be continually releasing more of the data from the study over the next few weeks, so we'll be getting deeper and deeper into that. But in this particular release, we did discuss the eight different categories of questions that we have in the survey. And so the questions fall into areas such as the purpose of calling or family and the value of life or God and creation and history, all of these kinds of things. We've got eight different categories. The one that pastors are most likely to consistently think and live biblically in relation to is the category we label Bible, Truth, and Morals. So this is where we simply look at, do we believe that there is such a thing as absolute moral truth? Do do we believe that God is the embodiment of truth? Do we believe that the Bible conveys God's truth to us? Uh, Do we believe that there are right and wrong ways to act in relation to things such as abortion, euthanasia, and so forth? And so it's that particular category of beliefs and behaviors where we find the pastors of Christian churches are least likely to be aligned with God's ways. All right, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Why is this happening? And and probably the answer is complicated, but that's the only question I have. How, how How does this happen? Well, there are a lot of uh, different facets to the Fred, as you allude to. Certainly one of those is seminaries. Seminaries do a miserable job of preparing people for ministry. Uh, we can look at the fact that uh, pastors are human beings. They grow up in American culture. And so just like the rest of us, they are also influenced by the culture. We look at the fact that they grow up in churches where they're taught by pastors who don't have a biblical worldview. They grew up in families where their parents did not have a biblical worldview. And so they're, you know, just like the rest of us, I mean, they're struggling to make sense of how to live properly. The problem is that they've got a much bigger responsibility, where God is going to hold them responsible for what they teach others to do and to believe. And when they're leading people astray, there's going to be a bigger judgment for that. So, yeah, it goes back to our colleges, our families, our seminaries, our culture. All of those things together have had a very substantial negative influence on the thinking of of our pastors today. Could this explain, uh, to a certain extent, why in many churches, and even, even in evangelical churches, that you don't hear pastors preaching on abortion? preaching on the sin of homosexuality, of marriage outside of the biblical definition of marriage, is is what you're saying with regards to your the answers you received on, on Christian worldview, could that explain perhaps why these things aren't being taught because the pastors aren't comfortable uh, with what the Bible teaches about these things? Because it's, it's, it's contrary to the culture. Yeah, absolutely, Fred. And, and, and what we find is that uh, many pastors don't believe the Bible can be relied upon to give us truthful answers to every question in life. I mean, right there, that's that's a huge obstacle 
that we've got to overcome in our churches. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly a big part of it. We find that, that pastors throughout the country are doing the same thing that the people in the pews are doing, which is they're picking and choosing the things out of the scriptures that they believe are right or truthful or appropriate. And they'll work with those, and they'll ignore the others. And we've done some research, some other entities have done research recently, where we look at what is being preached from our pulpits. And one of the things that does not get preached about very often is the very concept of sin. I mean, you touched on this in your question, you know, the, the sin of abortion, the sin of euthanasia, whatever sin you want to choose. We don't hear about that because thousands and thousands of pastors across the country don't even believe that there is such a thing as sin. And so we've got a lot to recover from within our churches. That is mind-boggling to me, uh, that a pastor who has gone to a seminary, they don't believe in in the concept of sin? Yeah, now they will say, well, yes, we make mistakes. But, you know, Jesus was human, he made mistakes. You know, and that's how we get to the point where in our culture today, almost half of all adults believe that Jesus Christ was a sinner. And so we've got so much garbage in American theology, it's almost hard to know where to start. But I think the best place to start is by believing that God is truth, and he conveyed his truth to us in his word, which he then inspired people to write for us to use. And so if we go back to his word, which is truth, which he embodies, that's going to get us back on track. And that's probably about the only thing that's going to get us back on track. Dr. George Barna, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Okay, I know many of our listeners are going to say, where can I get more information? Is there a place they can go to get this this result we've been talking about? Yeah, if people go to our website at culturalresearchcenter.com, we have all of this study and all of our past studies are there. You can download them for free. And we encourage you to take them to your small group, take them to your church, take them to places and talk about these things. Amen. We're not going to make it right unless we put it on the table. Amen. Amen. Dr. George Barner, thank you so much. Got a feeling we're going to be talking to you again real soon. Thank you, sir. All right. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Have you seen these kinds of things at your church? I'd like to hear from you. 888-589-8840. We're back to listen to you after the break. When you hear this... This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. Secular progressives want to teach our young children to know how to do things that only married adults should do, and some of it even married adults would find offensive. The prophet Isaiah warned us evil would one day be called good, and he taught us how to respond. 
American Family Studios has produced a video series featuring Dr. John Oswald explaining Isaiah's truth in a way we can easily understand and apply. Look for Isaiah, the servant of the Lord, when you visit resources.afa.net. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills And it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. You can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. On American Family Radio, hi, I'm Barry McGuire. I'm a car guy here to help you understand the urgency and how fun it is to share your faith at every opportunity. Sharing your faith is an enigma. Most Christians believe it requires getting people on their knees and praying the sinner's prayer, but that almost never happens. In fact, you rarely have the opportunity to actually lead someone to the Lord, but you can move everyone every day closer to Jesus. God's using this chaos to bring people to Him in amazing numbers. Over 80% of the unchurched know the world's out of control, would like to believe there's a God who can make sense out of the chaos and are looking for somebody to tell them. That's where you come in. All your excuses for not sharing your faith are just that, excuses. It's not something you can't do. It's something you can do easily by suddenly expecting God to open doors and love people through you. There's nothing more exciting than knowing God just use you to lead somebody to Him. Join us at IgniteAmerica.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Well, still sitting here in shock after that discussion with Dr. George Barna and where our churches are. And I, I want to say right off the bat, there are still many good, solid pastors out there. So this is not a condemnation, a blanket condemnation of, of all pastors. Certainly uh, pastors, large churches, medium-sized churches, small churches, they are solid. They are in God's Word. They are not afraid to preach the whole counsel of God. I know that. But this survey from very respected Dr. George Barnett, He's been doing this for 30 years, and I've followed him. Uh, he has incredible credibility uh, when he comes to these things. And he's, he's not trying to trick people when he asks these questions. But very simple. Where do, where do people stand on the issue of the authority of God's Word, on absolute truth, that Jesus is the only way of salvation? This is very, very basic stuff that I know you, I know I learned from my very early days growing up in church. And the problem is now, okay, when you talk about, according to the survey, just to go over some of these numbers again, of among senior pastors, for instance, 41% hold a biblical worldview. That's four out of 10. That means six out of 10 do not. The next highest was 28% among associate pastors. 
And as George Barner pointed out, perhaps the most disturbing result was amongst pastors who work with young people. Only 12% of children's and youth pastors hold a biblical worldview. As we've been saying all along, this has to have an impact. It has to have an impact. We are to be salt and light in this world, folks. And what does the Bible say if the salt has lost its flavor, its potency? And that has an incredible impact on sharing the gospel, getting people into the kingdom. So the question is, what do we do? Well, uh, let's go to our phones. Some of our folks may have some thoughts on that. Let's go first to Texas. And Emil, I believe it is, that's on the line. Emil, go ahead. Emil, are yes, you with us? How you doing? Yes, go ahead. Hello, can you Ye- hear me? Yes, go ahead, please. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm just on my lunch break. Uh, you know, I have been uh, dealing with this issue for about 10 years now. I'm a small preacher at a small uh, community church. <clears throat> and uh, the question that George Barna asked was, or I think you asked was, where do we start? Did you, do you remember that? Yes. In other words, in other words, getting the churches back to uh, to a biblical worldview, and and by biblical worldview, I I I think you mean do they actually read the Bible and know what it means or what it says, or actually believe it? You can read it and not well, believe. Well, most people, most Christians don't read the Bible first of all, so they can't have a biblical worldview. I see your point. Go ahead, but. But, but for me, the starting point is, is the definition of sin, first of all. I know that a lot of pastors and a lot of Christians don't believe it in such an issue as sin, but the definition, Christian definition of sin is a breaking of God's law. Would you agree with that? Yes. And so, therefore, I'm certain that the problem that we have within the Christian community is that not only do they believe in this false concept of no longer being under the law, but they believe that we're no longer under any law. And I think that's where we need to start. Okay, I, I just, 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 uh, pa- Pastor, just, just to, to clarify, I want to make, make it very clear. Uh, you're not saying that obeying the law constitutes salvation. Did you hear me say that? No, I, no, I, I did no, not I, say that. No, I just we're talking I, about we're talking we're talking about the problem that we're in. Yes, we're talking about the problem that the church is in. Mm-hmm. No one is suggesting that we're saved by keeping the law, right? And I think that's the misconception because people automatically go there. I I never went there. No, what I'm suggesting to you is that the reason that the church acts more like the world is because they don't believe that we're under any type of law. Moral, of course, not a ceremonial law or not a mosaic law, of course, but the Christian church doesn't believe that the Christian is under any law anymore, and that's the problem. Yeah, and I think that goes along, I I appreciate your comment, Pastor. I think it goes along with what George Barna was saying, is that according, in his opinion, why we're getting these numbers when pastors are surveyed, is that there is a fear of preaching about sin from the pulpit, and identifying particular sins 
uh, that are prevalent in our culture today that we're dealing with abortion, uh, with homosexuality, homosexual marriage, transgenderism, all of those things, that pastors are reluctant. Uh, you know, we've heard even in evangelical churches, well, I don't want to preach that from the pulpit uh, because that's political. Well, uh, the Bible teaches us that we are formed by God in the womb. This is the abortion debate is when life begins. The Bible says, God's Word says, that life begins at conception. So it's, it's, not, it, it, it's an issue politically, but you cannot disconnect it from the truth of Scripture. So that's why it ought to be taught and talked about. I am puzzled as to why pastors today would be reluctant, for instance, to say to the congregation, hey, listen, you're probably following what's going on right now with there with the Supreme Court perhaps going to rule against Roe v. Wade. Why is it important that they rule against Roe v. Wade? Well, here's what the Bible says about that unborn baby. Very simple. You don't have to mention Democrat or Republican. You just talk about what God's Word says about this issue that's being discussed so publicly right now. And yes, you should talk about some churches that don't have a problem with abortion and why that might be. And that goes to what Barna is talking about is because of a lack of a, of a Christian worldview, the absolute truth of Scripture, that God does not change. God does not change. And that what he said was sin 6,000 years ago is still sin. All right, let's go to uh, Bobby in Kentucky. Go ahead, Bobby. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, mention, you know, some of the experiences that I've had. Um, I'm 60 years old now, but I was uh, 14 when I first got saved. Um, I was raised in a church that teaches that you earn your way to heaven through your works. And when I was in my early teens, I just, you know, I, I, I just, it left a bad taste in my mouth. I knew something was wrong with that. I didn't know what, and I was just really disinterested. And I was using my Sunday morning paper out to ditch church is what I call it. And it ended up running right into God uh, because then when I would get home from my d deliveries, I would turn on the TV and it pretty much the only thing was on back then was, was church shows. So I thought, well, you know, Mama, uh, when, when she's feeling sick or whatever, she gets her card punched by watching a church show on TV. So I'll just do that. And so I started, you know, watching those church shows, but they were just as boring as the pastor of uh, uh, the minister of the church that I was raised in. And so um, I kept changing, you know, trying to find a different program and finally found Jerry Falwell's Old Time Gospel Hour. And it was through a guest evangelist that he had on there that I heard the truth. And, and it cut me to the quick. And, and I, I came, you know, I, I knelt down on my knees in front of the TV when I went to turn it off and, and asked God to forgive me and asked him to be my Lord and Savior and, you know, acknowledge that I was a sinner. And, you know, and so that's when I first got saved. However, um, I didn't know what to do next and was afraid to ask my parents, was afraid to ask my friends or my sister or anything like that. So, uh, I thought, well, God will just keep this between you and me. And that was fine for me, but not for him. <laughs> and he let me go another 14 years. Um, I joined the military when I was 19. 
and thought I was living pretty good. I was into alcohol, drugs, all sorts of stuff while I was in the military, illicit sex. You know, I, I pretty much ran the gamut. And um, when I was about 28, I finally decided I, I knew what I needed to, to be finally happy, which was to get married. And the gal that I chose, I should have had nothing to do with, but I didn't know what the Bible said about being unequally yoked because I never read it. And, and I had been disconnected from church since I was probably about maybe 16 or 17. And, uh, in any case, uh, I, uh, we ended up getting divorced and it was a very painful divorce and I almost, uh, almost committed suicide over it and by jumping off of a third story balcony, but I wasn't sure that that would work. So while I was standing on the balcony trying to summon up the courage, I literally heard God's voice say, please don't do this. Give me a chance. I can fix this. And I'm like, yeah, what are you going to do? Look at the mess that I've made in my life. What are you going to do? <laughs> Forgot that he actually made me, you know? But anyways, and, uh, you know, and he proved to me, and it, it seemed like hours, but it was probably minutes, you know, he, he convinced me that he had been, had his hand on my life all that time and was walking with me and led me to that point. And when I realized that, I hit my knees and I said, you really are God. And I got kicked out of the military over that situation, though. And, you know, and I went back home and started over in the civilian world. And I met my wife now, and we just celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary. Congratulations. And, um, thank you. And, uh, but the, the uh, church that she was going to um, when we first met, started dating and stuff, was not a good one. And the one that I was going to, eh, it wasn't horrible but it, it still was some, there were some issues and so we decided okay she said i don't want to go to your church i said okay i don't want to go to your church so we decided to find another one together and that's where we ended up getting married and that pastor taught a very good biblical worldview at that time but then a couple of years later one one sunday morning he came into a sunday school class that we were part of and says you know i no longer believe that there's a there's actually going to be a rapture and i'm just we're just both sitting there going huh you know, and it's like, well, if you don't believe it, then it's time for us to leave, you know, yeah. because what else don't you believe? Yeah. And so, you know, and, and then over, over a course of time, we moved from uh, Michigan to, uh, to Tennessee in a couple of different moves. And during that time, you know, we were visiting different churches and stuff like that, but we never really united with a church because, um, <clears throat> you know, we, I, I was hoping to move to the South. Right. And where I'd been stationed in the military for a part of the time, and you know, and that's where I, I really liked it there, and I wanted to move there. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when we finally got settled in in Tennessee, um, then you know, we've been to uh, about three or four different churches, and you know, there's always been something. And a lot of people would say, "Well, you know, you're just shopping around," and it's like, "No, I'm not. I'm trying to find a pastor in a church that that believes what that book says." Because I was reading it a lot. Yeah. Bobby, you know, your experience, uh, and I thank you for sharing it. Your experience, unfortunately, is shared by many people today. First of all, I'm, I'm thankful that you've set a high standard uh, because many people are just willing to settle for a second best when it comes to a church to fellowship in. Uh, but your, your testimony is powerful, 
And uh, I pray that you do find uh, a church out there. All right, we're going to try to get at least a couple more calls in. Uh, we say good afternoon to Karen in Texas. Go ahead, Karen. Hello, good afternoon. I just wanted to say, I just don't, I, I'm, I'm not sure if the pastors are really pastors. I think they're just people that just want to say that they're pastors, but they're not delivering the truth. And when I say the truth, I'm looking for pastors that will let people know that we are not good enough on our own. At our very best, if we did everything right, if we said everything right, we're still not good enough. The only way we can enter into the kingdom is through Jesus Christ. And until they actually start preaching that, I don't think they're real pastors. No. Well, uh, if if they're not preaching the salvation message, then, then something is certainly missing. All right, we'll try to get one more in here. Uh, Scott in Louisiana, go ahead. we got about 60 seconds here. Okay, I'll be quick, Fred. I think what's happened is the world's gotten in the doors, and a lot of the pastors now CEOs or CFOs, and it's about nickels and noses. Yeah, that pretty well sums it up in many cases, doesn't it? <laughs> nickels and noses. Uh, Scott, that's, that's a sad case. But I, I just want to finish up on this note, and we are running out of time here. As I said, there are many good pastors out there, and they may not have a high profile. Uh, They may have 20 people uh, that show up faithfully on Sunday. But you know what? Uh, Jesus started out with a following of 12. And uh, look what those 12 have done by being faithful. And they didn't uh, go, those 12 didn't go out and uh, do a public relations campaign try to make the world like Christianity. Many of them died a martyr's death. And we have to be able to stand up, stand up for truth, whatever the cost is. Not just pastors, it's every one of us. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us. Fred sitting in for Walker today. As I say, Walker will be back in a few days. Stand by for more great programming here on American Family Radio. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.